Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see uh, each and everybody here uh, today. And uh, it is, uh, it, December is kind of weird because it starts off and I'm like, okay, it's still November, it's still November, and then it's just the first week of December, and then boom, now it's like, all right, we're less than two weeks away from Christmas. And so that's, uh, it sneaks up on you a little bit, but I hope and uh, trust that you're having a good uh, month and a good celebration uh, thinking about and uh, journeying towards Christmas. The theme that we've chosen for that is uh, love has a name and centered in on, on the aspect that when uh, God wanted to demonstrate his love or, you know, make himself known to his people, he chose to enter into our world. And so, um, you know, who Jesus was, uh, we know that love is not just about intention or a feeling, but love requires action. Love requires an object, like there is something that you express your love to. Love is action-centered, you know, that you demonstrate how you love. And so Christmas for us becomes the greatest love story of ever, and not just because God thought about you or loved you from a distance or wanted things to be different, but because God actually entered in and took on flesh, literally, and became the, you know, hands and feet that we were able to, to see and interact with. And, you know, not us personally, but as we read the gospel accounts that Jesus really did come and live and move among us and make himself known. And so that's what we think about uh, this uh, year at Christmas time. Now, before we jump into, you know, the text and what we're going to think about today, uh, there is something that I think is a very crucial attribute of who God is that we often overlook or just take for granted because it doesn't seem very revolutionary. There's nothing that would make us be surprised by this, but one of the key attributes of who God is is God is a self-revealing God. And so if God is other than his creation— the only way that you can know that God is if that God chooses to make himself known. In fact, uh, deism is the idea that, you know, you can look at the earth and say that, you know, there is such complexity and such design that cannot have happened by accident. There must have been a maker of all that we see. Now, we don't know if we can know that maker or interact with that maker, but at least this earth, this world is not all that there is. Christianity goes way beyond uh, deism to say that you can know because the God who made everything you see also took the initiative to allow you to know him. And so he walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the garden. He calls out to Abraham and says, I want you to leave your family and your land and I want you to go to a place I will show you and I'm going to make a great nation of you. He appears to Moses at the burning bush and calls him. Several times throughout the Old Testament, God shows up and makes himself known. And in the stable in Bethlehem becomes the ultimate picture of God wanting to almost break through, enter in, and make himself known. Again, that, that's not very surprising. We know that that's the case, but whether it's through kind of general revelation that what we see, you know, that, that sunsets and mountaintops and just knowing the complexity of our world but even specifically through God's word and through God's interaction with you, we today worship a God who is self-revealing, who wants to be known. In fact, he's, you know, of the football field, he's ran the first 99 yards, and he says, all I need you to do is take one step. The distance that, the, that there could have been between us, I've covered 99% of it, and I just need you to take one step. Do you know that's crucial for the Christmas story? Because... You cannot know somebody who doesn't want to be known. 
In fact, I think the definition for that inside of our culture is stalking. If you were trying to get to know somebody who has no desire to get to know you, that is not a good thing. Now, not in the same vein as stalking, but, you know, for me, in junior high, I was trying to get to know, like, different peer groups that had no desire to get to know me. It was incredibly difficult. In high school and college, there were, not many, there were, there were, there were a couple of girls that I wish that I could get to know who did not get to know me, and that all changed with Rachel, but maybe not, because I think for the first little while, Rachel wasn't sure that she wanted to get to know me either, but, <laughs> but the reality is, you cannot get to know somebody who doesn't want to get to know you. You can learn about them, you can see them from a distance, but our God is a self-revealing God, and the only reason that we are here thinking about this is the fact that God took the first step, the first 99 steps, and says, I want to break through your world. Is there enough willingness and openness and desire on your part to take the one step? Love has a name. Our God is a self-revealing God. And so what we've thought about for, you know, the past couple of weeks is, uh, you know, that verse inside of Isaiah that you know and it shows up inside of hymns, you know, that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so we're focusing on those words and we thought about God as our wonderful counselor, the one who, you know, is, is active and revealing and is just, you know, wonderful, who brings something to our life that is not currently inside of our life and that we cannot get by ourselves. That he's mighty God. He's very God in nature who chose to empty himself and to enter in. And even, you know, it is to his own sacrifice, laid aside, you know, what was due him in order to get to know you and me. And today we're talking about the aspect of Everlasting Father, that he is the one who has invited us to be part of his family. Again, wants to get to know us, but also include us, welcome us into his very self. So let's just remind ourselves that the the same passage that we read uh, last week inside of Isaiah chapter 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land... uh, of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. We mentioned last week that Isaiah says that he is everlasting father. And, and we mentioned that of the four statements, the one that would have really like struck a nerve in, in not a good way with Isaiah's audience would have been mighty God. Because again, how can a God who is other than become a little child to become born into this world. And so, you know, for a monotheistic people that believes in one God and God who is sovereign over all, that would have been something that would have tripped them up, at least initially. That the one who is going to be deliverer is also mighty God. They would not necessarily have had a problem in, inside of believing that, that if, if God is going to come and restore and to do something in our midst, everlasting father would have been something that would have resonated with them. Because they remember again about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the importance of lineage that God often speaks and sends an individual to redeem his people. They've heard the stories of Moses. 
They've heard the stories of King David. And so the fact that God would raise up one and that there would be a lineage of godly leadership to come and restore the nation of Israel would be a welcomed addition. And so Isaiah's audience listens to that and says, uh, wonderful counselor, yes, mighty God, we're not sure. Everlasting father, yes, send us the next David because we need that. But when you come to the New Testament, and again, we quote and we write it in Christmas cards and we sing it, these four phrases you've probably already visited a hundred times this Christmas season. But there's a little bit of awkwardness there. Because a a child is going to be born and a son is going to be given, and he shall be called Everlasting Father. And in fact, if we want to think about Jesus, we know Jesus as the incarnate Word of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son to his Heavenly Father. Is it possible that Isaiah is not talking about Jesus here, or is it possible that Jesus in addition to being son, is also father. And that creates a little bit of awkwardness for scholars to say, like, you know, it's inside of this passage, it's talking about God's deliverance, and, you know, maybe this part doesn't have to do with Jesus. But I think it does. The word Trinity doesn't appear inside of your Bibles. Coming through the New Testament writers and, and the early church, uh, there was a, a, a problem, really, that had to be thought through and figured out. And it's incredibly complicated, but it's also quite simple. And the problem is simply this. We believe in one God, Lord over all, and there are no images or imitations inside of his name. We believe in one sovereign God. So if God is one, and yet we read our Bibles and recognize that the Father is God, We hear what Jesus said about himself and know that Jesus is God. And the way in which the Holy Spirit is talked about and referred to, the Holy Spirit is God. So how is it that we can have one God, and yet the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God? And so the Trinity and and Trinitarian thought becomes really just the church's description then of how that comes together to really have integrity with the truth of Scripture in the fullness of who God is, and yet... The, the core convictions that we know to be true. There are thousands of pages written about this. And I'm not going to spend the rest of our time just merely talking about Trinity, but I, but I want you to think about that just for a second because it is crucial to this. Do you know that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and, and they go down to, to the water and, and there's Jesus in the flesh there in the water and it said the Spirit descended like a dove And there's the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so while you don't have the word Trinity, you have the appearance of, you know, the appearance of the Spirit and and the Son in the flesh and the voice of the Father all inside of one moment. Do you know that the Father is fully God? The Son is fully God and the Spirit is fully God and And the reason I say that is because sometimes we think the way that we make sense of this is, well, you know, let's just see how they operate. And so the Father, you know, we think of it's the Old Testament, it's law, it's judgment. You know, we'll call the Father bad cop. And Jesus comes along and it's the gospel and the good news. And and Jesus, everybody likes Jesus, we'll call Jesus good, good cop. And then the Holy Spirit, depending on the denomination you grew up in, is either the one that we don't talk about or the one that we emphasize 
the Holy Spirit's just kind of like the mysterious, um, you know, father, son, and crazy uncle, you know, type, type of thing inside of this. We sometimes divide them in terms of their mode or their function. But do you know that the, the father who, who sometimes people come in conflict saying, like, I don't know if I believe in the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is not just judgment, but has compassion and love and actually sends out of love his son, Jesus. The Father is also just like the Holy Spirit. You know, we think of the, the Father says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so in the Father, you have the fullness of who God is. Jesus says, I was there even at the, the foundation of the world and I saw Satan fall like a bolt of lightning. And he says also, I will never leave you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit, we know, was there hovering over the waters at creation, present in, in the ministry of Jesus, and yet with us today. And so we can't divide out God and say, you know, this is the part that the Father plays and this is the part that the Son plays, because it is one God inside of three persons. And while they, at times, are referred to in different ways, you have the fullness of God in each member of the Trinitarian community. Now, again, we could talk about this for another 20 hours, and it would only leave us with more questions. If you want to talk about this further, I'd be happy to do it, but I, I, I wanted to begin there just because I think sometimes what trips us up in thinking, if, even if you've ever thought about this before, is how is it that Jesus the Son could be the everlasting Father? It's because he is the pre-existing the eternal Son of God who enters into our world. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Colossians says he is the firstborn over all creation. Scripture says that he's Lord over all, that he's seated on, on the throne. And so all that you know in a heavenly Father, you also know in the person of Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus relates to, to God, his heavenly father, but he also shares in his mission, in his identity, and his actions. Jesus takes on the mission and, and the role of his heavenly father. And just as we can know God as father, we know Jesus as father, even though that is sometimes weird for us to say in that way. So inside of your Old Testaments, Psalm 68 reminds us that he is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God inside of his holy dwelling. And, and Jesus goes on to say, to let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, that I will not leave you as orphans, but I am coming for you. I will be with you always till the end of the age. I want to read for you a section that's not a Christmas passage, uh, technically, but I want you to read down through, and I've highlighted a few words. By the way, the Word of God is, is all in white, and so you don't just have to pick out the ones that Mike thinks are more the Word of God than the others, but I, but I want to draw attention to who he is as Father inside of our lives. Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses 
his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to, uh, thank you, sorry, I'm reading off the screen, so, uh, our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above uh, the earth, so great is his love for, for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you, his mighty ones, who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And so he is Father. He is the one who invites us unto himself and welcomes us in, but also continues to care for and nurture his children. Now, I want to go through a few ways uh, quickly for us that this uh, makes sense and really brings some level of application to us. Because again, God as your Heavenly Father is not a new concept. But I think this Christmas, there's a couple of things that are worth remembering. The first, that inside of this relationship, there is permanence. There's a reliability to who he is. That inside of this relationship with God, our Heavenly Father... Uh, there is something that will not end, that will never be taken away, that can never be extracted for you, that ha- from you, or has no end. Psalm 90 says that before the mountains were created, or you brought forth the earth from this world, the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so there is a permanence to that relationship. There's a permanence to who he is that you can rely on him. You can build your life as a foundation. You can build upon who he is. Because he will never leave you or forsake you or let you down. Do you know every earthly relationship you have is temporary? Even the best of your relationships will one day come to an end. Either because somebody passes away because they move, because there's a season of life where schedules or life situations don't necessarily align, even the best of your relationships you cannot fully count on. The people who are there for you all the time eventually will have something where they are busy doing something at the point where you need them. And you cannot simply build your life just relying on one person and the moment that they can't follow through You say, well, they must not have loved for me or cared for me. That is not the way that we live in relationship. But even beyond the best of our relationships, sometimes we have relationships that aren't the best or good or functional or healthy. And in fact, for this, one of the things that gets in the way sometimes of people relating to God as father is on this earth, they had a relationship with a father that was not very good. And so it is very hard to relate to God 
as one who is everlasting, who is steadfast, who is sure, who is eternal, who will never leave us or forsake us because that is not our experience here on this earth. And, And I get that, and I understand that that takes time to process through. But the one thing I want to say is, even sometimes we measure that against the ideal. And so if you had a less than perfect father, which we all did, if you had an absent father or even, you know, a horrible relationship with your father, the very fact that you would measure that against an ideal says that there is a longing inside of your heart to know something that would be far different than what you actually experienced. And so even in that pain, I want to say there is room then for you to experience something in God that I wish could have happened more for you here on earth, but maybe even that wound opens up a place for you to know God deeply inside of your life because that ideal that exists inside of your mind is put there for a reason. Because I think there's a longing for us all to have a relationship with a father that we know that above all things that we can count on and build our lives upon that will never leave us or forsake us. And even sometimes our earthly fathers forget to pick us up at football practice. Not that I'm making any confession or testimony (laughs) here before us. But the great thing about Jesus, our Messiah, our everlasting father is that he never outgrows us or loses interest in us. He never drifts apart or loses touch with us. He's always there. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is everlasting, that relationship is permanent and true, and it can become the very foundation of our lives. Now, before we leave that, a couple of specifics. His love is everlasting. You cannot out-earn it. You cannot get more of it. His love is everlasting and sufficient for all that you need. Jeremiah 31, he says, that I have loved you with an everlasting love. His love is everlasting. His covenant is permanent. Do you know the old, old-fashioned wedding vows would say at the end of it, till death do us part? And your vows might have said that or may have not said that. Even your covenant with your heavenly father has no expiration date. That his covenant is permanent. His love is everlasting. His salvation is sure. And so again, we talk in, inside of some of these terms You know, like it's just something that we've always known. But think about the fact, especially in regard to every other relationship in your life, the permanence, the reliability, the dependability, the firmness of that relationship with one who wants to know you as father and you his child. Brings me to point number two. It's a familial relationship. Now, this is where we most go, and I don't want to spend too much time here because this is fairly obvious, but you've been invited into a family. That throughout the Old Testament, even, you know, the God that many people say, I don't know if I can relate to the God of the Old Testament, sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament are references to, I want to be a father to my people. He gives life. He provides advice and and guidance. He loves us. He sticks with, with us. He protects us. He watches over us. He adopts us. He invites us in that the primary defining characteristic of who we are can be who he is. But you know what's interesting inside of even a family relationship is your last name could be changed and you could have a standing invitation to Sunday dinner and yet still there can be distance inside of a family relationship. 
that yes, there, there's a permanence, there's a reliability, we've been invited into a family, but even within a family, there's the opportunity to draw close or to draw apart. The Christmas story is marked by the phrase that he, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so God came near to his creation. So near that you could touch him, you could pick him up, you could hold him. People interacted and either rejected Jesus or wanted to get closer to Jesus. Wanted to spend more time or scratch their head because he blew open all their categories. But the one thing that you could not say about Jesus was that he was distant. And so even inside of family relationships, sometimes again, it's the pain of our human relationships that brings this out. It's just because it's family doesn't mean it's close but you have an opportunity to draw near, to close the gap, to pursue a greater intimacy than what was there because of one who is father. Now, the third point, there's a permanence, there's a reliability in relationship, there's, you know, a familial aspect to this relationship, but it also becomes the defining and transforming part of who we are, which means this, that Jesus does what, doesn't want to be a part of your life. Jesus wants to be at the center of your life. And one who is everlasting, who has no beginning and has no end, one who is everlasting and one his father has the, the capacity and has the desire to be the thing at the center of your life that informs and in a good way affects every decision, every minute, every relationship inside of your day-by-day existence. And so you cannot say that your spiritual life is comprised of your church attendance and your morning devotions, and then that's it. But as a person of faith, because he is everlasting father inside of our life and we can build our lives upon him and we've been adopted into his family, he says then the most important thing about who you are is your identity in me. You are not a person who happens to be a Christian. You are a person made in the image of God and your primary identity is that you know Jesus and that he knows you and every situation you walk in and every circumstance you find yourself in and every decision that you make he wants to be a part of and at the center of and that's not easy because life gets busy and sometimes we find ourselves on autopilot making decisions or saying things or doing things without ever thinking what would Jesus say or do or how how would he direct me inside of this situation Most of the time, we don't wander from this out of choice, but out of simply neglect or not thinking about it. But if he's the God who forgives and heals and redeems and rescues and restores, Psalm 103 says he's the God who satisfies our deepest needs. He's the God who makes himself known. Psalm 103 also says he works inside of our lives. Now, the verse that comes to mind first for me is Romans 8, 28, when it says that God works all things together for good for for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our focus sometimes is on the good aspect of that, that God's going to work all things for good. We think in terms of our circumstances. But I want you to think about the verb part of that, that God works, that God is working. That in every circumstance inside of your life, all the places that are not yet complete or are just a complete mess, 
or the new things that surprise you or the times of transition inside of your life or the things that you can't control. He says, you can trust that if I am your everlasting father and you've built your life upon me and you belong to me, then I will continue to transform and work inside of the circumstances of your life. So in John chapter 5, he says, my father is at work. And I myself am always working. When God draws near, it's not just a one-time thing. When God draws near, it's to say that I want to live in a perpetual relationship with you, not only that your life is always open to me and to my leading, but that you would know that I am always active and at work inside of your day-by-day and moment-by-moment circumstances that I'm a God who is with you, that I'm a God who is for you, and that I am a God who is at work in you and inside of your life. So he's an everlasting father, an awesome savior. And I think the invitation stands that if he's he's a self-revealing God who has gone 99 yards, he simply wants us to take a step. And maybe at Christmas, more than any other time, it's easy to just get lost inside of the language. We know the songs, we know the story, we've heard it before. But it's possible that you've surrounded your life with the things of God, but you've never actually taken the step to say, I want to be a part of your family. That that the invitation to to attend Sunday dinner and have my last name changed is is something that I've always acknowledged inside of my mind, but I've never taken that personal step for me as an individual. We call that salvation, but it really has to do with my life was existing on its own, but now I'm going to place it inside of the center of the fullness of who God is. And the one who is Father, in him and at the very center of who he is, is the best place that I could ever put my life. And my hopes and my dreams and my fears and my discouragement, that I could place my very self at the very center of who God is. And that he could come then and take up residence inside of me. And so if you've never made that decision, even though you've been around church or or around things or you know the story, today can be that day for you. But I think there's a second application, and that is for those of us who have walked with him, just because you're part of the family and just because you've prayed the prayer doesn't mean you are living in intimacy of relationship. The good and bad of family is that you can kind of come and go, and sometimes distance is created. And maybe it's not because of some big thing that happened. Maybe it's just because life got busy and priorities change and things get out of focus. And I want to say to you today, today could be a time that you can come back home and experience the intimacy and the closeness of a God who came for you. He's everlasting father. I love the fact that Joseph is included inside of the Christmas story. And Joseph is imperfect, and we don't really hear about him after the early days of Jesus' life. Some people, you know, suspect that maybe he passed away at an early age or that he was much older than Mary, and the reality is we don't know. But inside of the Christmas story, we learn about Joseph. And in fact, even though God appears to Mary first, God appears to Joseph three different times about what to name Jesus, about to get up and, and, and go to Egypt because Herod's about to come and, and and kill the the infants in the land. 
God is active in leading Joseph as Joseph leads his family. And I wonder if in some small way, Joseph's inclusion in the Christmas story is a reminder to us that what Joseph was to Jesus, even with all his imperfection and humanness, Jesus wants to be that inside of our lives as well. If we'll place ourselves in him and the fullness of who he is. So this Christmas, we think about a God who who drew near to us, wasn't content just to remain at a distance, but wanted to close that gap and have an intimacy of fellowship with his people. And I think this Christmas, he wants to do the same thing, whether for the first time or because of whatever has taken place in, in the gap or in the margin of your life. God draws near to you and he's ran the first 99 yards of the field and he simply wants you today to take a step towards him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for the way in which you have demonstrated your love for us. We thank you that you are a God who is self-revealing, that you want to be known, that you've made yourself known and that you consistently and constantly want to be in relationship with us. And God, for some of us here, that has been the case for us, but it kind of ebbs and flows and sometimes has to do with our circumstances or what's going on or our schedules or our focus. But today, even inside of this moment, Lord, would we have the opportunity to connect with a God who drew near to us that we would make room inside of our lives to draw near to you. Father, thank you that we've been invited to be part of your family, to be named by your name, to be included inside of your mission, that our entire identity could be reformatted according to the pattern of who you are. And so God, today I pray that you would meet with each and every one of us and the work that you want to do in us, the distance that you want to close inside of our relationship with you, Lord, that that might be a reality for us even today. So we invite you to come even as we prepare to close this service, Lord, that you would speak powerfully and that you would meet us here inside of this place. We ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.